You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode number 115. And today we're diving into a subject about weight loss or weight gain. And really, what is it with this weight set point and can we actually change it? Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back. I'm your host, Alexa. And as always, this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. Today, we're diving into a very sought-after topic and yet so confusing. We're talking about weight, body fat, and if we can actually lose weight or lower our scent point. So the entire topic of metabolism, which I'm learning could be an entire series, just like we did this summer with the mental health series, I'm really actually thinking about it because there are so many topics about like body fat as its own organ system and set point and the laws of metabolism and the hypothalamus and leptin and ghrelin and all of these things that come together that really play an important role in our metabolism and if we lose weight and if we'll keep it off. Today, we're just kind of tapping the surface. We're just on ground level, but I really do believe that each topic deserves its own podcast. So if you liked the whole series idea, like the mindset series that happened this summer, let me know because I'm thinking about January 1st kicking off a metabolism series so that you can actually not just wish to lose weight or jump on another diet that promises weight loss, but actually do it for life. It could be a lot of fun, but I wanna know what you think because clearly... I want to teach you what you want, not necessarily always what I think is best. So shoot me an email, leave a comment on social media or right here on the blog post and let me know. What is it? Do you think a metabolism series would be great? Keep me posted. In the meantime, we are just tapping the surface today with this topic and I'm going to be answering the questions about what is a set point and what about metabolic compensation and how do we lower our set point or raise it if you're trying to gain weight? And I know I say that lightly because we have a few things to say to those people who have trouble gaining weight, where most of us fall in the category of having trouble losing weight. And so we're going to talk about all of that today. But before we get there... I want to remind you that the 2019 Nourish Planner is alive. It is active, and I really believe that you could benefit from this tool. So the 2019 Nourish Planner is a printed planner. It's a day planner um, that focuses on more than just scheduling your life, but really takes into account your health, trying to make you more well-rounded, your mental health, your physical health, and your day-to-day lifestyle. Because we really believe at the Nourish Planner, and I really believe here at Simple Roots Wellness, that our routines and our rhythms of life is what sets the pace for your goals and what it is that you want to achieve and really just the health of your body. That's why we call it the Nourishing Planner, because it's not just about nourishing your body, but your everyday life. And that ultimately pays off big in the end. So if you want to grab your own 2019 Nourish Planner, make sure you head on over to nourishplanner.com and get one today. And speaking of that, I am starting something right here at the beginning of the new year that I think could really add a lot of value to your life that you're going to want to be a part of. And I think the Nourish Planner is going to be a really great tool to help us achieve this new project. So if you want to join me, make sure you grab a Nourish Planner. I mean, it's not necessarily required, but it is like really highly recommended. So grab that at nourishplanner.com. And one last thing, today I'm going to mention the hormone reset or healing your hormones. And I want you to know that I do have a full program to help you heal your hormones in just five days, literally five days to help reset your hormones. And I'm going to talk a lot about that because weight loss, like we can't talk about weight loss without talking about your hormones. 
And I've developed this program through lots of research and my own need for something like this. And it's helped thousands of people, men and women, to reset their hormones. So if you're interested in that, or I mentioned that today, and you think I need help with this, or I want to jump on board with this and really fix this, especially before the holidays get in full swing, and I'll link it up in the show notes at simplerootswellness.com backslash 115. That's episode 115. So you can grab that there. But for now, we're going to get right to the show. So today I'm answering the question, is it possible to change your weight set point? And if so, how? Because it's more than just having all this knowledge, but it's how do we actually implement that? And that's really what I want to give you is these practical tips that you can apply to your everyday life to see changes. But here's the deal. I feel like it's impossible to understand why dieting works, why calories don't work without the scientific knowledge on how our body works. So we're going to talk about that today. So I think to answer this question, we have to start by defining what our set point is and the law of metabolic compensation. Now, I've mentioned this a few times before, and if you've taken a few of my free classes, then you know we've talked about metabolic compensation. So I'm going to answer that here. But to start with, we have to understand what is our set point. So basically, the set point is, is our body's system of maintaining a level of fat that's appropriate for survival. So this is called your weight set point. Whatever your body believes is the necessary amount of fat needed for survival. To get more scientific, this is called energy homeostasis or your system of the homeostatic regulation of weight. This is the exact system that makes it so hard to keep weight off once you lose it and or likewise gain weight when you want to. And this is because the body responds to the homeostatic system to keep it at its normal. So your set point is essentially the normal weight for your body, the healthy preferred weight of your body. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, I'm really overweight. Why would that be the preferred weight of the body? Because here's the deal. Remember, your body will be overweight and unhealthy anytime it believes that that is the healthiest state of the body. So what that means is if you are pushing it into this unknown territory, this very unpredictable starvation central where you have lots of deprivation going on, your emotions are kind of all over the place and you're quote unquote really energy restricting, then your body is going to go into compensation, which we're going to talk about in a second. But basically what the set point is, is like a thermostat in your house, right? It has a set weight in which it's comparable comfortable with, which it trusts, and which it knows it can survive at. And so it has the set point. And like a thermostat, anytime you like leave the door open and all this cold air rushes in, it's going to lower the thermostat. So anytime you have a deficit of calories or you go and eliminate macronutrients, you're going to have this deficit, right? Which is going to cause the thermostat to lower. So it's going to cause your weight to lower, just like it would cause the temperature to lower in your house. But once you shut that door, once you stop the deficit of calories, once you stop eating or eliminating the macronutrients and you start incorporating that back, your body's automatically going to compensate and go back up to the set temperature. And so that set temperature is your thermostat. No matter if you go high, right, you gain weight, you eat too much, and you go the opposite direction, it's going to pull you back down. And it does this with a series of different biological, hormonal, neurotransmitter signals that are telling the body specific things to increase hunger and decrease your metabolism or the rate at which you burn energy while you're sitting. It's going to either decrease or increase hunger and make you feel full or satisfied or not. Um, And so all these little signals and these biofeedback loops are going to go off. And that signals to your body to keep it no matter what you're doing at that set point. 
let's take this and say you lose 20 pounds, right? This is what's happening inside your body. You lose 20 pounds and the homeostatic system is gonna start firing. They they found really that anytime you lose more than 10% of your body weight, your hormonal system can't handle it. And so your homeostatic system goes off, these alarms are sounding, and what's gonna happen is that your body's going to increase hunger, it's gonna decrease your resting energy expenditure. So when you're just sitting down, the number of calories you burn will be lower and it will extract more calories from the food that you eat, so your metabolic efficiency goes up. So basically, it's gonna come in and try to make your system super efficient so that you can reach your desired set point, so that you actually gain weight back up to your set point, and often cases, even a little bit more, and that's how we slowly, over time, increase our set point, is that we just push our body into further places of distrust. And this weight set point is exactly why no one has come up with a magic bullet for weight loss. Because as statistics show, 90% of people who lose 10% or more of their body weight will gain it back and more. And again, this is due to the phenomenon of your metabolic set point and more specifically, metabolic compensation, which is what I want to get into now. Because now that we know the the set point, it's just the point in which, or the weight, the number in which your body feels healthy, then we have to understand why it's hard to lose weight. Why doesn't losing weight work? And really, it has to do with metabolic compensation. And I'm going to tell you how, yes, at the end, you can lower your weight set point, but it's more than just a quick fix. It's more than just a fad diet, because ultimately, that's going to push your body down, but it's going to spring right back up, and that's due to metabolic compensation. So to define metabolic compensation, it's essentially how your body responds to weight loss. Remember, your body's number one job is to make sure you have enough energy for survival. It doesn't care how you look in a pair of jeans or a swimsuit. Like, it wants to survive. It also doesn't know that most people that are listening to the show have access to food in substantial quantities, right? Like, there is no shortage of food for most people who would be listening to the show. It's how we perceive our environment that's going to change. And that's, again, goes back to a mindset situation, which could be its whole podcast on its own. But here's the deal. When you provide your body too few calories consistently, your body is going to compensate by slowing things down and becoming more efficient at using the fuel you're providing it with. That's just what we talked about, right? You lose 20 pounds, your body's gonna signal hunger. It's gonna decrease the amount of energy you burn at rest. And it's also going to be more efficient with how many calories it takes in. And so your body essentially is working against you or you're working against your body is better said. So the thing that we have to know about these systems is how does it work with it instead of against it? And that's what we really wanna get to. How do we work with our body to prevent metabolic compensation so that we can lower our set point without triggering this survival mechanism of the body. So how does it do this, right? Like, how is your body working? Because I think without the knowledge of how your body is actually working, metabolic compensation, we can't go around the issue and actually provide the opposite, right? So if we know how metabolic compensation works, then if we did the opposite, what if we could just naturally lower our set point without our body flipping into metabolic compensation or the survival mechanism could then we actually lower our weight and stay there rather than jumping right back up that's the key because here's the thing and i say this again at the end there is no amount of weight loss that will ever be sustained without lowering your weight set point and i think that's missed in so many different issues is that or every issue, right, is that we try to get to the certain number, 
but we work so furiously to stay there when your body doesn't want to stay there. Like that's not its homeostatic thermostat. And it's fighting tooth and nail to get you back to that point. And so rather than fighting it. Like what if we just stepped back and we actually provided what it needed and with the right environment provided enough trust that our body would naturally lower its set point and then it would make weight loss easy. Now I know it sounds like, okay, what's the secret? There's not one secret for every human being and this is why it's never been done. It's because it's unique. And so rather than giving you like, here's the equation to do this, I think we have to start looking at ourselves and realizing, okay, I have to look at myself and how my body works and listen to my body so that I can know what's going well and what's not. Like where does my body feel trusted and healthy and where doesn't it? But here's the thing, if anyone could come up with this system, to lower our set point in all individuals, like you would be a multi-billionaire. But that's a subject for a different day. For now, we have to know it's never been done, but what we do know, it is possible. So your set point, wherever you are now and wherever your body likes to hover, that does not have to be your destiny, right? Like you can lower that and I'm gonna show you how at the end of this. But before we have to get there, we have to understand why metabolic compensation happens. And there's a few reasons why it happens, but Almost always, it's in correlation with different hormones like leptin and ghrelin, which is the signals to our body like hunger and fullness and cravings and how to store fat and all these things. Leptin and ghrelin are huge, huge, huge predictors of weight gain and obesity. And without figuring these out and getting these right, more than likely our chances of ever succeeding at weight loss or weight gain are going to be non-existent. And I'm gonna do a whole podcast, whether you want it in a metabolism series or not on leptin because it's that important. But basically what leptin's gonna do is it's gonna signal all kinds of important things in weight loss. But the big thing is it's going to talk with your hypothalamus or the spot in your brain that signals to the body how to store fat. So leptin's going to go to the brain. If leptin's in high concentrations, it's gonna go to the brain and tell the brain that fat stores are sufficient and you don't need to store extra fat. So essentially leptin is the signal to your brain that turns on fat storage or turns on fat burning. And that's really, really critical because without leptin, we will never see that. So again, it signals to the brain to cut back your appetite and speed up your metabolic rate. So tell yourself you're full and also let's burn some of this because we don't need it on. But here's the thing, when you cut calories, you're actually cutting leptin, which leaves your cravings to go up, as does your hunger, and in the end, your metabolism tanks. So once we start messing with leptin, we either go on calorie restriction, we lose weight too fast, we're actually going to see a plummeting in leptin, which means that your body's going to say, hey, there's not enough fat, I need to start conserving and storing, and so it's going to do all of those things. So that's one thing that we need to be aware of. The second thing we need to be aware of is your thyroid hormone. And I feel like I can't talk about set point without talking about the thyroid because it's most wildly known to cause weight gain in individuals. But here's the thing. What they found through studies is that it showed that even modest weight loss leads to a decreased conversion of the less active form of thyroid hormone to the active form. And this results again in the slowing of resting metabolic rate. So what we're finding from these two things is is that just calorie deficiency, just quick weight loss, macronutrient deficiency, even though weight loss comes with that, that doesn't mean it's going to lower your set point. In the end, what it's going to do is tell your body, hey, this is a really safe weight. We can't go down and it's going to fight against you as much as it can to get back there. So those two things, we have to start working with them instead of against them to ultimately reach 
weight loss. So the big thing that I want you to remember is that long-term weight loss and sustainable weight control is never going to be about complicated caloric equations. It's always going to be about creating a cooperative and optimized metabolically, hormonal, and internal biochemical well-functioning physiology. Like, I'll say that again. It is never going to be about complicated caloric equations, ever. But it's always going to be about cooperating and optimizing your metabolic, hormonal, and internal biochemical physiology. Now, that sounds overwhelming and complicated and confusing, but I promise you, all of these systems are linked together. So if we can just figure out a few pieces, usually it's the snowball effect and it will just pick up. But the problem with calories and focusing on caloric restriction and macronutrient restriction is that we really find that it starts messing with one of these points, whether the hormonal issue or the metabolic issue or the physiological issue, right? Like the restriction messes with your psychology and that messes with your stress hormones and that throws off leptin and it's just this never ending cascade. So that always messes with it. But if we can just start working on a few points that help, whether it's your mental health or your hormonal health, like once we start to fix one, they kind of all link together and they start to get fixed. So Let's break it down. What causes weight gain? Well, through a lot of research, it basically created an equation that looks like this. Modern lifestyle, which could be classified as your epigenetics, combined with your genetic predisposition, because yes, we can't talk about weight without talking about genetic predisposition, can equate to weight gain or obesity. So let's just break this down because as we mentioned, there are a lot of things that cause our weight set point to change and metabolic compensation to kick in. So what is it? So just to back up for a second, genetic predisposition, right? Some of us are genetically predisposed to be super skinny no matter what we eat. We know those people, right? Who can eat anything and thousands of calories a day and never gain a pound. And then we have the other extreme of people who look at food and gain weight, like which can truly happen. And so there is a genetic predisposition to this, but that's only about two to five percent of the equation. The other 95 to 98 percent of the equation is our modern lifestyle. It's our environment. And this is the piece to take into account because this is what's actually telling our genes to turn on. This is called epigenetics. It's rarely about the genetic code, but actually how the genes are expressed and how our genes are expressed has to do with the membrane of each cell, which has to do with the environment in which it's surrounded by, the chemicals, the hormones that it's encountering, all of these things that we talk about when it comes to weight loss. And so it's mostly about our lifestyle and less about our genetics, but yes, genetics do play a role. So let's just break down a few of these things that are playing on our epigenetics and what is actually causing us to gain weight. So we're gonna go back to the brain. Because this is where basically all communication happens. This is where all control happens. So if we go back to the brain, what we've learned is that over the last 20 years, research has shown that food intake and body fat regulation are primarily orchestrated in the brain. Okay, we know that, right? Like this all is happening in the brain. How much we store fat, how much we burn, like it's all happening there. Now, what are the inputs for the brain in which it 
decides what it's going to do, right? So there's two of them. One is the homeostatic or energy regulating systems, which we talked about, that thermostat where your body has a set point. But the other one that also interferes with our body composition has to do with the pleasure reward seeking system. So our reward centers. We're going to talk about both. Most of them have to do with a homeostatic set point. And these are influenced, again, by our environment, by inflammation, leptin resistance, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's first dive into inflammation because this is important. Remember, one of the big hormones, if not the biggest player in body composition weight set point is leptin, the hormone that signals hunger and fullness and cravings and your metabolic rate, and how much energy you actually absorb out of food, all of those things, right? So here's the deal about inflammation, is that the pro-inflammatory cytokines, so those molecules that are produced in conjunction with inflammation, these are actually inhibiting leptin signaling on a bunch of different cells. So inflammation is essentially limiting the power of leptin on a whole bunch of different cells. And so like insulin, when it becomes resistant, right, our cells can no longer use that. And that's essentially what's happening with leptin is that these inflammatory cells are causing a leptin resistance. So even though leptin might be signaling through your body like, hey, we're full, we don't need any more fat cells, what's happening is your body's not getting that signal. And so if our body's not getting that signal, automatically it's going to the opposite direction of its inducing hunger. And it's increasing cravings and it's slowing your metabolic rate and is um, making you absorb more calories from the food that you're eating. All of these things basically are lowering the metabolism, a more efficient system to help preserve the body. So even though you have plenty of fat cells going on, inflammation can interfere with your body's ability to know that. And therefore, it's going to signal to increase hunger and cravings, decrease metabolism and increase fat storage. Where is this inflammation coming from? Of course, it's coming from a lot of different things, but processed foods and processed sugars, improperly prepared grains, gut infections, micronutrient deficiencies, fatty acid imbalance, injury. It could be caused by food sensitivities and just a bad gut microbiome, right? There are lots of places that excess inflammation is coming from. could even be caused a mental stress, which we're going to talk about later on. But inflammation, they're finding, is one of the biggest indicators of weight set point in people. And the more inflammation you have, generally the heavier you're going to be. That's one point to take into account. The second thing is processed foods. And here we're going to start talking about the pleasure-seeking systems. But here's an interesting fact. Obesity is virtually unheard of in populations that still follow their traditional diets and lifestyles. And one interesting aspect that affects weight regulation is the availability of high-energy, dense, and palatable rewarding foods. That's what we talked about, the pleasure-seeking systems of the body. That's next, the homeostatic system is also causing this imbalance or this irregulation in weight control. And again, if we follow the natural instinctual diet, we really don't consume that many high palatable foods. But thanks to the food industry who studies this to a T and likes to know what can we get you addicted to? I mean, I'm sure they don't word it like that. I'm sure there's a lot more scientific jargon. But essentially, the food industry would love to get you addicted to their product because the more addicted you are, the more they can signal your reward systems, the more likely you are to purchase that product and the more money they make, right? And they do this well. That's why they spend billions of dollars researching the human body and how to fire your reward signals in your brain. So essentially, they're getting you addicted just like any other drug, and they do it really well. 
But again, in the past, we haven't had the advantage of consuming that many highly palatable, energy-dense foods that we do now, right? Like today, it's an everyday occurrence to have these highly palatable foods. But back in the day, these were rare and they're designed to trigger your body to want to eat more of them, right? Because before the world of highly processed foods, we really didn't consume that many highly palatable foods, right? Like vegetables and root vegetables and and just meats. Yes, they can have lots and lots of flavor, but when we're talking palatability, we're going for things which quote-unquote, have a high reward value of food, those things have usually a caloric density, a, a certain texture, a certain content of fat and starch, simple sugars, and salt. Like, those are the components of highly palatable, rewarding foods. So in nature, when we found these things, it would be like berries on a bush, right, or coming upon fruit. Now we have access to these things all year long, And we've taken it to the next level of processing these things, which makes it even more accessible and even more palatable, which means it's signaling more of the reward system in the brain. And so what's happening with this is basically it's overriding every system in the body, just like drugs do. And once you signal that dopamine, it makes your body want more and crave more. And it makes your satiety actually decrease and your desire to eat increase. And so that's what the reward system is doing in your body is that it actually is causing you to eat more. And while this was, again, a protective mechanism of the body because survival was to have energy, is that now it's causing a lot of harm. So diets have figured this out, right? Like they know that if you eliminate an entire class of macronutrients, that reduces the reward value of the diet. But the problem is if you ever want to bring them back in. So say you went low fat, right? And you reduce this whole palatable food group. When you start to bring them back in, you actually ate more of them and your body wasn't accompanying to them. And it started to accept more of the energy in the form of fat calories. The same goes now for this low carb phase is that yes, it might work on the front side, but on the back side, it can be super damaging because once you eat it, then it's gonna trigger reward firing so much more than if you had never done that in the beginning. And therefore, this reward system just sets off all these cues to eat more and to store more and to crave more. And so it can become a really vicious cycle. But there was an interesting study done in 1976 that confirmed that reducing food reward by feeding bland food, it lowers the body fat composition in humans. So all of that, again, implies that, of course, highly rewarding foods can increase the body fat in certain susceptible people. Not in everyone, of course, but in certain susceptible people, the more highly rewarded palatable food that you ate, the more you'll actually consume. So does that mean that we should eat less rewarding food? I mean, I think there is something highly valuable to that, to be careful about how many highly palatable foods you eat. And so you think, do I have to just eat bland food? Like, do I have to go back to rice cakes? No, I don't think that's the answer at all. But remember, highly palatable foods, which I'm going to leave a list over in the show notes at simbritswellness.com backslash 115, tend to have a certain composition of fat and starch. And to be highly processed and have a certain texture, all of these things the food industry has done really well. So rarely will you ever find super highly palatable foods in the real whole foods world. Not saying that you can't, but it's not about eliminating spices. It's about the composition of the food. And that really comes from, in most places in our diet, the processed food world. Okay, the third thing that I wanna talk about when it comes to your set point is again, genetics, which I said up front 
is that it's far less about genetics and more about the epigenetics, less about the genetic code and more about the gene expression, like how they're actually going to show themselves. And what they know about these issues, right, when it comes to obesity is that rarely are they a monogenetic disorder. Rarely do you have a gene snip that's going to make you overweight and obese. Like, in fact, some estimate less than 5% of gene snips actually come from or actually produce obesity. Some want to go as low as even 2%. Like, it's just so rare. On the other hand, what they know is that most, which they're estimating 45 to 65% of overweight cases, actually have to do with genetic expression or epigenetics. And this means that you're already predisposed to maybe having obesity, but somewhere along the line, the, the environment has pulled the trigger to that. So whether it's something you've been exposed to or something that you eat, um, an emotion that you constantly have, like something your cells are constantly exposed to is, is getting into the cell membrane and it's changing the genetic code to be expressed in a certain way that's making overweight and obesity a real factor in your life. But again, this is less to do with the actual genetic code and way more to do about the environment, which I'm going to give you some tips at the end to help change your environment, to help change the way that your genes are expressed. Because again, you can change that over time and see changes and your weight set point and other things. The fourth thing before we get into what to do is viruses. Now, I know this is always shocking to hear that viruses can actually make people gain weight. There's a lot of studies done, and this is not a new concept, but it's been known for some time that when people catch a virus, like there's certain viruses that people catch that tend to make them absorb more glucose out of their blood and get more fat molecules, like to build fat molecules based on the absorption of glucose. Now, we've seen this in animals. So in poultry tends to be a big thing um, that we can actually consume it in the meat that we're eating. I don't want to scare anyone, but I want to make it known that viruses don't always cause weight loss. In a lot of cases, they're causing weight gain. And I only bring this up because one, it's super fascinating. And number two, it shows the importance of a healthy immune system. Because if we have one, too much inflammation going on, it's going to lower our immune system and more than likely lead to us catching more viruses, which some of which can cause weight gain. So it brings up a whole issue of how do we support our immune system. And I think some of these things that we're going to talk about on how you can actually lower your weight set point also help your immune system. And that's a topic we're going to talk about in a later podcast. But the big point, again, is it's not always about the result of conscious decisions to eat less. And I think that we allow ourselves to go there. Like we have to will ourselves into eating less and losing weight. It's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of eating less and exercising more. More often than not, you're not doing, quote unquote, anything wrong. And it's definitely not about fighting yourself. But as long as you're fighting your body, you haven't changed where the set point is. And we have to stop fighting our our body in order to lower that set point. So the big thing that I need you to know is that at the simplest level, any successful weight loss intervention has to involve lowering the set point. Without the philosophy of lowering the set point, your body will always go back to where it started, if not more. So how do you lower your weight set point? You're like, man, you talked a long time to get here. 
So there are a lot of things that you can do to lower your weight set point. But remember, what the research has found is that no two bodies are alike. And this is why it's not been done. It's because they can't figure out one specific magic equation or magic pill that's going to do this for you. So what you have to do is you have to be a great listener of your body. You have to know your biofeedback loops and know that it's constantly evolving. Unfortunately, and fortunately, right? Like things are constantly changing for the better and sometimes for the worse. And we just have to know where our body is is or where it stands and be okay being flexible. So listen to your biofeedback loops is the biggest point. But here's some other things. So one is to change what you're currently doing. Remember, metabolic compensation comes into play when it figures out what you're up to and if it doesn't like it. So if you're doing calorie restriction or you're working out in excess or um, maybe you're eating too much, like whatever you're doing, do something different change it up. And I talked about seasonality on podcast 113, which is a huge asset to preventing metabolic compensation. If you haven't listened to it, you have to go back to it. But it brings up point number two, which is kind of diet cycling. So eating and exercising on a cyclical pattern, and that really helps your body to prevent this compensation, right? Because it can only compensate once it knows what you're doing on a consistent basis. So I don't want to say this is tricking your body, but this is providing um, a different set of measures all the time, providing different needs. So it's actually a really healthy thing to do. So like I said, maybe you, instead of eating less, you actually eat more. Or instead of not working out, you start working out. Like just change up one thing that you're doing. And a lot of times it prevents compensation. Like I said, I'm always a fan of diet cycling. I think even if you're wanting to do ketosis, like rather than doing full ketosis every day, doing Keto cycling, which is just only being in ketosis certain days of the week, I think that can be really beneficial. But either way, I really, really, really like diet cycling. So you can do this seasonally or you just switch in different things as the seasons change. You can even do different days. And a lot of times your body will do this naturally where maybe some days you just eat less and then some days you eat more. Like I find during the week, I tend to eat a lot less. Then on the weekends, it's like I'm refeeding. And so I'll have a weekend day where I maybe eat more and a lot more carbs. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's what my body needs to maintain itself. But again, to reduce your set point, I think there is something to a reduction in calories, but I say this lightly, it's not about counting calories. It's about eating seasonally and listening to your body. Taking away the highly palatable processed foods and eating more foods will actually help you eat less without you ever knowing it. So I don't say eat less as a means to count anything. I just say it as a means to lower your set point. So we have change what you're currently doing, diet cycling, I think changing your environment, like taking away the highly palatable foods, knowing that this is not a matter of willpower, this is a matter of biological craving. So just get them out of your house, like create a more soothing environment and an environment inclined to have weight loss and other things happen. So that's huge. Number four is to only focus on losing 10% of your body weight at a time and 10% would be on the high point. Remember, nearly every study done has shown that once you hit 10% of your body mass loss, your hormones really kind of go out of whack. And what we know is that there's a very small poundage, about three pounds, that can change a woman's cycle um, and a hormonal cycle. Like even if you get, you know, too low of weight, we can see just a three pound difference can mean menstruating or not. And so what we know about that three pounds is that you know, three to 10 pounds can really affect the whole entire hormonal cycle. 
So losing no more than 10% of the weight at a time. And what I mean by that, like if you've lost 10% of weight, focus on maintenance for a while before you go back to trying more mechanisms and means of losing weight. Um, Number five, you cannot lose weight without having the right hormonal balance. So whether it's the quick hormonal reset, like I talked about at the beginning, but really trying to get your cycle right. And this is the same for men, like having low testosterone levels. Like if you have any hormonal symptoms, you must regulate those first. And why it's impossible for women who are on birth control to lower the set point is because their hormones are all out of whack. So if you've gained weight on the pill, that is so common and almost impossible to lose weight there. I mean, it can happen. But more than likely, when you come off of hormonal birth control, it's also going to interact with your weight set point and cause all kinds of things. So just know that. Number six is, of course, to get plenty of sleep and drink plenty of water. I mean, the basis of life, right? These are stress mechanisms of the body and preventing those excess stress, right? Anytime we can prevent excess stress, it's going to help. So drinking or staying hydrated and Most importantly, getting enough deep sleep, six to eight hours. Everyone's a little bit differently, but making sure it's good quality deep sleep. Number seven is exercise. We know that building muscle is one of the best ways to lower our set point. And so muscle is metabolically active. It's automatically going to increase the amount of energy you burn per second, even at rest. And so doing more exercises that induce muscle building. It's less about straight up cardio and it's more about interval training. So hit, you know, high intensity workouts, high low, doing more strength training. It doesn't have to be 90 minute workouts. I mean, it can be quick little things. Anytime we're building or activating our muscles, we're actually increasing our metabolism, which will help decrease our set point. So exercise, intermittent fasting, again, helps you to sleep deeper. So having a time of eating and a time of resting will help lower your set point. Get into a routine. That's number nine is really focus on a routine based on living. Because if we're outside of a routine and it's crazy and chaotic, one, I don't think we listen to our body nearly as well. We often make worse decisions, right? Like we eat more highly palatable foods because our life is crazy and we think we deserve it. And I'm right there with you. Um, and or we're tired. And also it helps you to stay on track and do the things that you know that you should be doing, but also figure out what you enjoy and what you don't like, kind of creating and forming this life that works for you and creates more sense of um, excitement and joy and happiness and also decreases your stress and helps you to continue on. So that's what creating a routine can do. And the last thing is to remember your mindset plays an enormous role in this. Much like your hormones, remember the subconscious mind rules about everything and it also feeds your conscious mind. The subconscious mind rules the energetic body. And but here's the thing about the subconscious mind. Not only does it feed your conscious mind, so it distorts realities, but it also is affecting the energetic field of your body. And so when you hold on to negativity if you don't like something that you're doing. Say, for instance, you hate working out or you hate running. Like your subconscious mind doesn't forget that. And it's always going to trigger that even if you try to do that activity. So here's the deal. You have to learn to love your healthy life. Like lowering your set point is really about doing finding something that you can do forever. It's a lifelong thing. And the reason for that is because anytime you do something that your body doesn't like, 
or you don't like. It triggers the subconscious mind, distorting realities, which is signaling negativity in the body. And we know that negative emotions are having a negative impact on every cell. And in fact, it's causing every cell to conserve energy because negativity often signals a stress, right? Something's wrong. Something's not right. We need to hold on to that. And so we have to know that if you don't love it, it's actually making it worse. So if you don't love running and you actually hate it and you despise it, it's actually causing a distrust in your body. So it's causing more stress in your body. And more than likely, it's not helping you lose weight at all. In fact, it might actually be increasing your set point. So you can't work against your body. You have to work with it. And so you have to keep your mind in mind and know, do you like this? How are you feeling? How are your stress levels? Like keep a mental check and also always be opening to questioning your thoughts, because our thoughts are almost always coming from our subconscious mind, which can distort our conscious mind um, and cause false beliefs and false realities. And so being willing to question that, but knowing that our mind has a huge, huge impact on our weight set point. So those are some things you can do. I know that seems overwhelming, but just pick one and work through it. Now, to help you out, you can go over to the show notes, you can get this full list, and I give you more resources about how to incorporate them into your everyday life. Also, if you haven't, again, I'm going to say it, go back and listen to the seasonality podcast because diet cycling, I think, is one of the best ways to lower your set point. If I had to pick the top three, it would be watching your mind, focusing more on positivity and reducing stress. Then it would be diet cycling. So seasonally or cyclically with your menstrual cycle or just kind of getting into a rhythm of cycling through your diet or doing both of those. And then it would be exercise. I mean, those top three are key. Okay, sleep has to be in there too. But anyways, you get the point. Basically, you have to learn to work with your body instead of against it. And the best way is to listen to your body, listen to the biofeedback signals, and know without a shadow of a doubt that yes, you can lower your weight set point. Where you are now is not your future. First, ask yourself though, is this weight unhealthy or do I just not like it? (laughs) Um, and I feel like I have to ask my, my husband actually challenged me that the other day when I was kind of complaining about the weight I'd gained when I actually got a virus um, a few years ago and I've never lost it because during that time I obviously increased my weight set point because it's super easy to stay where I am. Um, but he challenged me, he said, oh, are you, do you feel unhealthy or do you just not like it? And I think that's a really, really great question to ask. Like, do you feel unhealthy with your weight or do you just not like it? I think there's a big difference with that. That yes, even if you just don't like it, I think you can reduce it. But I feel like you have to be a lot more careful with it. Um, If you are unhealthy and in an unhealthy weight, I think your body will naturally lose it better because your body does want health above everything else. So I think that there's a difference there. But overall, this is not a quick fix. And no quick fix will work. If you got nothing else out of this, no quick fix will work. It has to be a slow lifestyle change that you actually enjoy. Remember that 10% rule. Focus on no more than 10%. Get yourself there. Get yourself feeling good there. And then kind of slowly continue making transitions. But no, your weight set point right now is not your future. And you can change it. So I hope that was valuable. Like I said, you could do an entire podcast about metabolic laws and leptin and ghrelin and how our thoughts are impacting our fat stores and fat as an organ and all these things. I just want to know, are you interested in that? And are you interested in learning more about this? So maybe you can work with your body instead of against it to really make changes that last. Let me know. Leave a comment in the show notes at simperitswellness.com backslash 115 or on social media. I would love to know your opinion. 
Anyways, that's it for today's show. I hope it was beneficial to you and I hope it gave you more insight into maybe why you can't lose weight or why you've tried and you've always gone back. It's less about yo-yo dieting, but that's a great example of how you can see this working in real time. For now, don't forget to head to the show notes at simperitswellness.com backslash 115 to get all these things that you can do to lower your set points and more help. Pick one and just start working on it and working on it. And don't forget to grab your nurse planner because that can really help you include all this, sort through it, eat seasonally, and add exercise to your life. It is all inside that. So head on over to nurseplanner.com. Don't forget to check out the show notes, grab your own nurse planner, and I will see you back here next week for another special interview. In the meantime, here's to having the best week.